Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to Infinite Leaders Live. I'm Lewis Keynes, and, and the reason we're here, um, our why is, is all about making things better and being better. Uh, we're committed to helping fellow educators, coaches, and those working in education to be infinite learners. And we want to encourage all people working in the sector to be open to ideas and suggestions on how to develop practice and help us to support others along the way in becoming better people um, as well as better professionals. I'm joined by my colleague and, and good friend, Alan Dunstan. Yeah, thanks, Lewis. Uh, really looking forward to, to diving deeper into understanding how, how leaders with an infinite mindset translate, translate this across to their teams. Um, we'd really like to focus on, on the things that you don't get taught at university or on your coaching courses or doing your training courses. We want real-life lessons from real-life people with real-life experience. And uh, being up front right from the start, we're learning this isn't our day jobs and uh, we're recording live as well, so I'm sure there might be a few mistakes along the way. Forgive us <laughs> if there is. And uh, if you want to give us feedback, we'd love to hear it. Get in touch via Twitter or the, the various platforms that we're on. Um, whether it's good or bad, we want to hear, we want to get better uh, and practice everything that we and the people that we're having on are preaching. Alan, do you want to crack us on? Yeah, so today's guest is a good friend of mine. We, we, we go back a long way and, and Scott's made it right up to the, to the top of his profession. And I just look really privileged to introduce Scott Barlow, who's the principal of South Axon School in North Lincolnshire. Uh, there's going to be some absolute gems of wisdom today, so get your <laughs> papers ready. Um, lovely to have you on, Scott. Can you just tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming the principal of South Axome, and, and also just give us a little rundown on, on COVID-19, please. Right, yeah, firstly, thanks, Alan, and thanks, Lewis, for inviting me to be involved today. It's a privilege and honour. Uh, hopefully, I'll try and bring something to the to the party that uh, other people may or may not have said. Yeah, uh, journey, journey today. Well, we were laughing off air, weren't we, in terms of uh, uh, our first journeys together, Alan, as, as PE teachers. Uh, we, we perhaps came into this profession a little bit naively in terms of uh, just very short-termist in terms of we thought our PE teaching days would be the ones that would see us out in terms of wearing shorts, getting a suntan and kicking a ball about. And here we are trying to work out HR and finance issues and a global pandemic. So, yeah, it's been an interesting journey over the last 20 years. I'll try and summarise it uh, uh, and not, not, not too long a way around, really. Uh, started, obviously, finished university. Uh, got my first uh, job in in a school in Hull. Uh, didn't realise that uh, July fifteenth was potentially a late time to be getting a job, and when there was only two people for the interview, maybe I, I, I should have read into that a, a little bit more. And when <laughs> one of the other people, when one of the other people uh, didn't go through to the afternoon session, I thought I got a good chance of getting this job. Uh, and little did I realise uh, what uh, the school context that I would be going to. Quite again, quite naive in terms of uh, fairly steel worker background from from Rotherham. Uh, very nice school that I went to. Uh, quite sheltered in my views, I would imagine. And then I go to a school in a, in a tough tough area of East Hull, high deprivation area. Uh, in in what, what in what in the UK wise you describe as high PP percentage people premium, uh, lots of different issues, mass unemployment across the area. But I absolutely loved it. Working with really challenging children, working with some amazing staff. Many have gone on to be heads themselves, and I've tracked their journey. Taught me a lot in two years. Real good opportunity. First year was really interesting. I talked with uh, 
had a department uh, who, it's fair to say, his his uh, his heart wasn't in the school, and he made a, a move across to Australia and did a job swap. So I worked with a guy from uh, Melbourne for a year in my second year, and that was fantastic to to unpick the. Australian education system and approach to PE teaching, very different to the UK. So again, learning a lot very quickly, picked up some responsibility within Hull uh, after my NQT year and a couple of areas of responsibility. And then within two years, uh, I was driving the commute from Rotherham to Hull every day. And then after uh, a cricket match until seven o'clock and then parents evening until nine o'clock, I fell asleep on the motorway and crashed my car at 80 mile an hour. So that was an indicator to myself that I probably needed to work a little bit closer to home. So I made the move. Uh, and, uh, thankfully, I was okay. Uh, the old Nova uh, stood up to the test and I uh, managed to move closer to home uh, and decided I wanted to go for head of department. Uh, I went for a role in uh, a school in uh, Huddersfield, again, a very different type of school, uh, real brought, brought a different awareness to me again in terms of exposure to different, different contexts. And I'm going to talk a lot about context in leadership uh, later in terms of uh, what you're faced with uh, and in terms of coming from a very uh, white, uh, high deprivation area, moving into a very multicultural area in Huddersfield, taught me a lot about uh, West Yorkshire, the dynamics of that area, uh, the different uh, religions, different learning and different expectations. And I, I learned a lot there. Moved across initially a second in department, got head of department within a year uh, and then stayed there for four years. Uh, at that point, I was head of department and I was I was I, I was gone through some difficult times in terms of staff recruitment, retention of staff, running the department on two or three members of staff, long-term supply, cover, taught me a lot about resilience, taught me a lot about uh, managing people, expectations, uh, and felt I was ready for the next move in leadership, really. There was nothing really at my school in Huddersfield. I felt there were two or three people in front of me in terms of the pecking order, experience, etc. So I made this decision to make a parallel move across and went to a school that I'd not really heard of. I'd, I'd moved house uh, to an area in Doncaster, and it was it was not too far away. And I ended up moving to South Axholme as, as uh, head of PE uh, back in 2004. And then during that time, I managed to work my way up the ranks, become associate assistant principal, assistant principal, uh, VP, associate principal, and then substantive principal from September 2019. Wow. COVID-19, how's it affecting you, Scott? Yeah, wow. Uh, yeah, first year of headship, have that one. Uh, interesting. Uh, obviously, uh, I mean, the global situation, we saw it develop. It was interesting, really. We, we were, I went to a Leaders by Leaders conference, uh, a spin-off from Pixel with an organisation that I've been working a lot with over the last couple of years in London. And myself and the principal of the local primary, my CEO, went down to London. We go once every term. Really good speakers on. Uh, Matthew Seidler was on, on this one and things like that. We'd come out We'd come out of the meeting, was checking our emails, and coronavirus had just started making the press then. And uh, we looked at that and thought, oh, yeah, okay, we, what do we need to do? Well, we, we were very naive. And I think most people within education were naive in terms of pandemic and preparation and what we needed to do. And then obviously, as that's 
developed, that was in January, and obviously towards March time, it became acutely clear that this was, well, obviously when it hit, we were, I led a ski trip to Italy, which was interesting because we were in the area that wasn't affected, uh, but it was I was leading a ski trip back from uh, the Aosta Valley on the February half term, and obviously there was quite a few concerned parents at the school of children who had not been to the trip that we were bringing COVID back into the country, etc. So that was the initial dealing with parental perceptions and understanding that. And then obviously schools have just mirrored the what's happened within uh, within the UK. Uh, I almost predicted the dates in terms of when schools would close because I felt it would fall nicely in terms of Easter, half term, etc. But I mean... It, it, you can never be as prepared for something that you've never touched or been aware of before in your life. I think the thing for me is the young people that we work with. Obviously, I've got a son here who goes to my school. Uh, he's pretty resilient, and, and we're a Microsoft school, and 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 we we took the plunge to go on to SharePoint OneDrive and become really. Uh, absorbed in Microsoft last year and, and thankfully we did which has helped massively in terms of communication with children online learning and things like that it's been a real upscale I mean I'm, I'm, as you know Alan I'm a positive person I always look at things in a positive way and I, and I look at this and, and, and whilst it's horrendous and a loss of life and the young people with their exams and the A-levels and the GCSEs and, and how, how they've not come to fruition as it were and we're using centrist grades and obviously year 11 not having their formal end to school in the prom and all those type of things which will live in their lifetime but these are exceptional circumstances and, and what we're doing at the moment is is, is is an education system i've been overwhelmed with the generosity of other leaders the sharing of things and the way in which we're quickly adapting uh, responding and making sure that we do the very best things we can for these young people. Uh, and we were just talking off air about the preparation for potential opening, of, uh, uh, partial opening of schools. It, 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 it's a difficult, it's a difficult one. You've got parental concerns, you've got children concerns. My concern as an educator is, is, is the children missing time at school. Whilst it's great, the virtual learning doesn't doesn't compare to, to having that face-to-face -face contact and relationship building with children and, and the impacts we have on children and, and their learning. So I'm concerned about that as an educator. I'm concerned about that for children coming through the school. Uh, but we'll get through it. We'll be stronger. The children will be resilient. It'll certainly change how we do learning. Uh, I think uh, homework will be interesting uh, within my school. I think teams and the uh, uh, and the way in which we view Microsoft Teams will, will, will massively help. I think staff have become upskilled. I think they've become a lot more ICT savvy. It wouldn't be unfair to me say that some of our more reluctant members of staff with IT have, have come on board. Uh, it's made online meetings a lot more uh, quicker, efficient. We've done online recruitment. Uh, so whilst obviously a global pandemic horrendous in terms of the people and loss of life, I think as we come out of this, and we will come out of it, I think we will come out of it stronger. Our children will have a, uh, will come out of stronger people. Uh, and hopefully we can get back to what will be the new norm sooner rather than later. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, challenging time for, for everyone. And it, it sounds like there's lots of positives to come out of that. And, and we love your optimism. Um, this has been a challenging time. Can you tell us about uh, the, probably the most challenging time that you've had as a, as a teacher, a leader, even as a human being? Can, can you take us back to that time? Yeah, uh, there's a couple of things really. Uh, I mean, as a leader, 
there's a, there's a couple of uh, uh, things that, that that stand out really. One of them is where restructuring uh, redundancies and when it's involving members of staff and even colleagues on your own senior leadership team, they're difficult decisions to make. Particularly within the state system, you you, you dealt with. Uh, quite difficult financial uh, decisions to make and, 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 and unfortunately uh, and, and parents probably don't 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 see this is that schools are a business uh, we get an income uh, our outcomes are students experiences results the holistic development but ultimately I've got a budget to manage and it's not an endless budget I've got difficult decisions to make and when you're having to make decisions that involves people's livelihoods their mortgages their career paths it's difficult you've got to you've got to make sure that your moral intent is right you've got to make sure that you've got uh, a sounding board that's uh, a close ally that you can talk to and discuss because you've got to take this home at night it's 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 a difficult situation to manage uh, and it makes it difficult running the school and and, and moving forward Uh, so that taught me a lot in terms of uh, one, gaining a, a sounding board, gaining a trusted uh, friend, ally, who, who you could work with, who you could discuss things and uh, bouncing off because you don't know everything as a leader and I learned that very, very quickly. And then having the uh, tenacity to drive that through. Uh, and that's not in an arrogant or uh, unsympathetic way, but actually uh, we've obviously got a timeline, we've obviously got a budget to... Uh, whether it be a budget deficit to get down or a reduction in in, in in outgoings, we've got that to do, and we need to do it by a certain timeline. So you can't lose that. You can't lose that milestone out of your mind. But you've got to do it right. You've got to do it legally, and you've got to do it with some uh, humanity and, uh, and humanity in, in terms of the the, uh, the the member of staff is 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 probably somebody you've worked with for a long period of time. So that was a really challenging time, particularly I was. Associate assistant, uh, sorry, associate principal at the time, part of the leadership team. So that was a difficult time. Uh, the other one involved uh, my challenges when I got a dual role. Uh, as, I, as I took my uh, foot on the ladder for leadership, uh, I was head of PE at the time, and an opportunity came up within school to become an associate assistant principal. They put these different levels and don't need titles in, but it, it was basically it was a capacity test. That's what it was. It, as this guy got the ability to manage and lead whilst also doing his day job of head of PE. So I had to be head of PE and then he had one foot in that camp and he had to have one foot in the leadership camp, in the wider leadership camp. That was difficult. So they gave me leadership projects to manage, assessment and reporting to parents uh, and how we do that and tracking and monitoring student progress as well as running a, a successful PE department, looking at outcomes. That was probably one of the most challenging periods of my teaching career. You're trying to manage fixtures, you're trying to manage your department, you're trying to manage children and outcomes, but then you're also trying to put your professional hat on, quickly change into a suit, become become that leader, that visible person around school, show the leadership team you have got the potential to become senior a senior leader. And that was a really difficult time managing that, as well as being a governor as well. Uh, that was a real good opportunity for me to go into the governance element. And I would always recommend for anyone who wants to look into leadership, if you can get a chance to go into governance and a wider perspective about uh, running schools and the education system and what you need to consider, that is a real good opportunity for many, many people. Uh, so, yeah, I would recommend that. So that was a difficult time. Just managing time, managing my priorities. I didn't get everything right. Plate spinning, as, as we always do. 
but that, that, yeah, that was a really, really tricky time. Let, let me just go, go back to something you mentioned earlier. You talked about the redundancies and, and it's really hard. People have got mortgages to pay. You know, you, you were a similar background to, to, to many PE teachers out there that, you know, you've not gone to a school that's taught you how to do that. You, you haven't probably had the opportunity to practice doing that before you're doing that for real. And you talked about doing it right. Can you unpick that for us a little bit? What does doing it right look like if, if, if uh, essentially you're doing someone out of a job in the end of it? Yeah, I mean, I always try. I always try and bring on my uh, or management uh, uh, way of working, really. And I mean, I actually, when I, I've just finished my MPQH, and I've been looking at lots of there's the Harvard Business School looked at lots of different uh, effective styles of leadership, and there was five they identified for the current head teachers. It was an article in 2018, and, the, and there was one called the Surgeon. And actually, 70% of those classes are surgeon, are PE teachers. And it made me laugh in terms of they're, they're very much results-driven and almost like a football manager. They do the surgery and the tinkering uh, in order to get short-term outcomes. So when I talk about doing it right for me in terms of football management and linking it to leadership, it, it, it was to do with actually, it was way out of my skill set. So first of all, I had to acknowledge I didn't have, an, I didn't have the skill set in terms of HR and legal. So first of all, I think that's a skill, a leadership skill. Don't try and go in there and wing it. Don't try and go in there and, 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 and do things that you're not fully aware of. So we talk about football management is that pre-preparation, that pre-match. So if I'm going in to deliver a difficult conversation with a group of people, is making sure that I've done my research and making sure that I've got the experts on, on, on side there. So that's meetings with HR prior. That was a weakness of mine uh, and something which, I needed to uh, get the experts in, speak with them. And the more and more you speak with HR and legal, the more and more you become aware of the steps and the procedures and the systems you put in place. Because uh, school, schools are very much system-based, aren't they? The successful schools have good systems in place, clarity, excuse me, clarity of systems. So for me, my pre-match, my pre-delivery and doing it right and doing the performance right was making sure I got the research done and bringing in those people that I knew could support me so not thinking I knew everything. So the HR and legal side was obviously really, really important. And obviously the finance side, making sure that the finance in terms of the packages that we're offering people were fair, equitable, but uh, in terms of morally right for the school. Uh, 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 because it was, a, it was a tricky path to navigate. Obviously, some people have been in the school a long time. Some people were, were quite emotional. And you've almost got to try and, and, and detach the emotion as much as you can, put that in a box and then work through the process and procedures. But that box is still, still remains there. And that's that box that nigg uh, niggles at you at night. And that's where you need your sounding board. You need, you need, a, a, uh, you need a strong outlet at home in order just to, just to manage those uh, dilemmas you're often faced with. So for me, yeah, upskilling, upskilling and making sure that I've got the right people in my pre-match delivery to, to my meetings was important. And I've been humble knowing that I don't know everything and uh, recognising that. Yeah, you made a good point there about that, that box you put those things in. Um, how, how do you empty that box? You talked about support systems at home and different things that might help you. How do you, how do you empty that box so that you, you don't have that on your conscience and you can deal with it? Was there anything that, that really helped you along the way of doing that? Hmm. I might say con consumption of wine. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. The, the walk the walk of shame to the bottle uh, to, to deliver the bottle uh, box in the morning and uh, <laughs> people 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 looking at that and making a judgment on your life uh, is not always good 
Now, I, I think what I have definitely learned, Lewis and Ellen, is that you need an outlet. You need some type of outlet, whether that be reading, whether that be exercise, whether that be family time, whether that be running. I think COVID-19, I've never run as much. Uh, I'm running 7K a day. Uh, I, I seem to make an excuse for that and, and not have, give myself time for that outlet. I've started cycling a lot. And I think whatever your outlet is, you need something. Obviously, you're dealing with confidential information, so you can't be talking too much about that at home. But actually, you do need some, I think you need some process time at home. You need some process time where I've not got a long commute home. It's literally two minutes from the school to my house. And when I worked in Huddersfield, I did, I did like my 35, 45 minute commute back because it allowed me to process what had gone on in the day, rationalize that, and then in my head, plan the next day. Uh, I'm quite a, I'm quite a, a task, task driven person. I like to, I like, I like lists. I like ticking things off. I like to know where things are. Uh, I can be seen as a bit of a control freak in terms of I like to know what's going on. And I know that's a weakness of mine and I need not to micromanage people and step back at times, but also I need to make sure that I, things are done properly. So again, it comes back to systems and how we role model that. Uh, so put, putting things in a box, you, do, that, you need to open that box in whatever way you can. I mean, one of my outlets is, is through junior sport and coaching and through now through the men's sport and I turn into uh, hopefully not a version of Mike Bassett but uh, a cross between Mike Bassett and Pep Guardiola on a Saturday but I, I think it, uh, my son often watches me on the sideline and says you're not like this at school or you're a different person I said I know because I click that little switch behind and that becomes out of teacher mode into into or teacher leader mode into into parent mode or into adult mode and and, and, it, and, it, and it's and it's difficult at times, particularly living in catchment, because you're making decisions and you've got neighbours and parents and friends, and, and it often can become blurred lines. And, and uh, one of the things I've made really clear is that uh, my day job is teaching and leading, and then I am a person at the end of it, and I, and I don't make, I don't do everything right, uh, but I, I make that distinction, and I, I've got to sometimes switch off a little bit and I've got to be selfish sometimes with my time, and, and that's that's something I've learned in my first year as a first term as a head. I learned sometimes that it, it, it's going to be there tomorrow, so don't panic. I am a bit of a workaholic, and I do work hard. Uh, and in fact, one of my assemblies that I, that, that I said to students was, I said, I'm probably not going to be elite. I'm not going to, probably going to be in education in 10 years' time. I said, because I'm going to have no hair. This old bloke's going to be speaking to you. And, you know, and I don't want to be one of those leaders where when I've been in schools and I look back and I look at them and think, yeah, your time has passed. You sell by day, so, and you're still in it for the money. That's not me. I, I, I'm, I'm not, that's, that's not me. My moral intent is these children get one chance and one opportunity. And in my assembly, I say to them, actually, what's going to happen is you might be against me for a job in 10 years' time because I'll, be I'll be 54 years old. I'll probably not be head by then. And you might be 25 and I might be sat in the same job interview as you. And what are you going to do to, uh, on your CV, your character, what are you going to do to, out, uh, to get that job? Because you're not going to outwork me. That's guaranteed. You're not going to. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And it's that motivation to the children about that holistic about Duke of Edinburgh, charity work, go outside the bubble that is your community, put yourself out in somewhere where you wouldn't normally do it. It's my, it's my comfort zone talk to the children. Uh, but I use that assembly a lot with them about outworking people. And I'll give them the example, Adam, uh, Alan, when, uh, when I sat down for the uh, Sheffield Hallam interview and I sat, for my interview, I sat next to Johnny Nelson. So I'm sat there, Will Cruiserweight champion is sat next to me, and I'm this 
part-time, not, not too great ex-footballer from Rotherham, sat there with his world champion next to me thinking, well, I'm not worthy. I'm not going to get this. I'm not going to get on this course at Sheffield Hallam. And Johnny didn't get on and I did. And the rest is history. But it's about looking at that, isn't it? About yeah. looking at that as actually right. I'm going to outwork him. I'm, I'm, what am I going to do different to bring something else? I'm not a boxer, but what am I going to do different in order to outshine somebody and bring that, and bring that to, to, to my strengths? Yeah, love that, Scott. Just linked into that is what are your guiding principles? I mean, I'm quite. A, I, I go back to my roots a lot, and I think a lot of leaders. And when I look at a lot of leaders, and I read a lot about business people, and I read a lot of my, my reading when I do have time on holiday is autobiographies. I do like that. I like to know people's journeys, what made them successful, what makes people unsuccessful. I use a sporting comparison a lot. I read a lot of books about sports leadership. I've just finished The Last Dance, watching that on Netflix. Amazing about the strength of character. So for me, more. I look back at that and I look at my I look at my principles from my parents, very working class, steel working, mum worked three or four jobs. Uh, and my grandparents and what they instilled in me really is is moral purpose, doing it for the right reasons. Uh, the children get one chance at education. So every time you're in front of them, that minute you can never recapture that minute. So when you're there, you've got to make sure that you're on stage and my staff are on stage for five hours a day. Um, I don't know. We were asking artists to be on stage doing a, doing a concert for five hours a day. We'd allow them to recharge, wouldn't we, at night? We'd allow them to have some family time. We'd allow them to have some normality. So as a leader, I've been keen on that and making sure workload-wise that that's important. We manage that because I want my teachers being the best they possibly can. Uh, and so moral intent is doing it for the right reasons for me. Uh, two, uh, if you work hard, the children will work hard. I've always, I've always thought that. Uh, I think in any profession, you're going to have people who don't work as, don't work hard. Who, who, and I think it would be fair to say, maybe in teaching within the UK over the last 20 years, it's changed very rapidly uh, in terms of accountability measures. Uh, there is a much more rapid uh, expectation of improvement of schools, and sometimes, you, and that can be a positive and negative. I think the positive can be. That potentially maybe there has been too many coasting schools, too many coasting members of staff who aren't working hard for children. And that's an annoyance of me because that's state money and that's children's experiences. And if we're gonna if we're gonna change the lives of children, I want them to experience people who've I had who've inspired me from teachers from Mr. Hilbert in geography to Steve Duffy at PE to, to people who've inspired me to 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 become a teacher and the experience I have, I, I want that for my children. So uh, so that moral intent, working hard, uh, and making uh, and making sure that it's a bigger picture for children than just exam results, and being conscious and aware. And that's the difficult thing for me as a leader at the moment is I've got the uh, I've got my Ofsted, uh, and whilst we don't do everything for Ofsted in the state system, their judgment is important. We talked about it as being a business. Yeah, people who say Ofsted judgments aren't important. Uh, I, I don't believe that because everything linked to that from marketing to finance to, to student role numbers is often linked to that, to that grade that you get with Ofsted. And a lot of that is linked to, to your results. Thankfully, the new Ofsted framework is changing. 
and has changed and the more holistic view of education is coming in we're back in now and it's these cycles of changing and that's what unnerves leaders in, in the uk at the moment is is the the change and the pace of change that's happening and and, and as leaders we've got to ride with that we've got to ride with that we've got to respond to that and that's something i've learned over the last few years that uh somebody told me control the controllables there are things that you sometimes cannot control so don't worry and lose sleep about external finance from government and how poor finance you get in education or the Ofsted framework or the judgments you can control what you can control and I think that that uh, that that has been a real important part of my leadership particularly this year is not worrying about things that I can't control so Scott I, I, if I've listened to you right there's four things there there's the child experience and the moral intent of, of getting that right for the child working hard and grafting the role modeling of doing that and expecting that from your staff and the kids. Outcomes and results are important, but, but as are the, the, the values that children develop and that holistic side and control the controllables. What, which, which one of those for an aspiring leader or somebody who's going into a headship, which one of those would you choose as the most important one? I think for me, it's moral intent. You, 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 you can't lose the moral intent if, if, because all your decisions that you're making on a day-to-day -day basis uh, are linked to what's in there, where have you come from, what do you think's right and wrong, what do you think's best for the children. And that's a difficult thing, isn't it, in terms of interviews and knowing, understanding staff, is how, how do you find out what a person's moral intent is? There's, there's, not a, there's, there's not a test for it in terms of that integrity and how they make decisions. Because every day I'm making decisions on the spot. I'm making long-term and short-term decisions. And you're quickly scanning that long-term memory. You're trying to pick out experiences that have been successful in the past or unsuccessful. And you're trying to quickly scan them to make decisions. And I've always, I always made a conscious decision in my first year, uh, year of leadership, be visible. I've worked on, with too many head teachers that weren't visible or leaders that weren't visible. And all right, we're a school of a thousand, but I wanted to be visible. I wanted to be on the gate. I wanted lots of reasons, really. I wanted to check uniform. I want to learn children's names. I want to see parents. I want to see the children every day. And I also want to see my staff. I want my staff to see me. So I'm, 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 I'm role modeling those visible presence and the expectations of what I want. And I think that comes from that comes from your moral intent in terms of knowing the children, wanting the best for the children. And, and, and that would be my one tip and hint would be, get, you've got to get your moral intent right. How you coach and develop that, I'm not sure. Because I think a lot of that is, is inherent. I think it's from your childhood, your experiences as, as you as a person, what is right and wrong for you and how you make those decisions. Yeah, I, think, I think what you've said there about being visible is really resonated in terms of sometimes the easiest thing is if you know there might be hassle from children from parents questions from teachers that you just don't want to face at that time that it, there's that temptation to not be right and, and I think I think that, that maybe is understated at how important being visible is it's a really good point yeah I mean I think I mean, that's a really important thing for me is, is walking the school and doing uh, every day I, I do the gate and at lunchtime walking around the school seeing children speaking to staff as well particularly at change moments, if I'm implementing change into the school or it's going to be a difficult change, I need to make sure those informal pit stops, pause points with staff are there because 
it's okay having formal scheduled uh, staff meetings, staff briefings, line management meetings, but there's nothing beats actually that ability to pop into a classroom and also recognise those members of staff who might who might wobble, who might. I mean, Goldman talks about it, doesn't he, in terms of his emotional and social intelligence, and and for me that's massive. It, and, and something I pride myself on, really, in terms of reading the situation, uh, making sure that I'm able to read staff emotions uh, and respond appropriately. And you can do it with, with parents, angry parents who come to the door to see you and, and respond and making sure you, you respond appropriately for that. And I think a lot of that is through you develop through time. You develop through experience and you've got to be one of those people who puts yourself out into those experiences. Because if you don't and you don't have those experiences in your long-term memory that you can scan quickly and it's all theoretical based, the, 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 the strongest traces in your long-term memory are surely the ones that, it's a bit like at school, isn't it? You remember your field trip, you remember your ski trip, you, remember, you don't remember sat in classroom X board or sat in classroom, you, you don't remember the, uh, your day-to-day timetable in year eight. You remember your, your ski trip, do you remember your, your, your trips to uh, Alton Tower? The, the strong memory traces are there. The strong memory traces as a leader are the ones where your experiences have gone both right and wrong. And they will be the ones that you can quickly scan, pull from. So if you don't put yourself out there, if you don't give yourself an opportunity to do those, then your, 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 your number of decisions are going to be quite narrow. Yeah, have the, yeah. the put yourself in the arena. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to elaborate a little bit on that, Scott, is, is when your core values are compromised with a situation, might be with a, a teacher not, not grafting it to your standards or a parent, kicks off in a, in, a, in a big way that, that's against your moral code. How, how do you then deal with that, your compromise of your, your core values? It's difficult. We've, I mean, we've had numerous occasions at school in terms of uniform and uh, compliance. Uh, and I, I think there is, a, there, is a, there is an element of, of school systems are about compliance, aren't they? Uh, schools are about preparation for adulthood. And a lot of their preparation for adulthood is compliance, isn't it? It's complying to rules and systems that you might not necessarily agree with, but when you go into the big wide world, you do need to comply by them. Otherwise, if you don't, then you end up in prison, blah, blah, blah. So when you pick on sensitive issues, such as things like uniform and compliance to that, and it doesn't go in the way you want, it's very difficult. I think what you've got to do is you've got the good leaders predict potential outcomes. And for me, when you're doing, when you're making decisions, you can't be naive in your thinking that everything is going to go down one path, and you've got to think worst case scenario where this is going to go, and then once you've got to the worst case, think catastrophic case. <laughs> in, in, and we've had a couple of those in, in with uh, uh, legal lawsuits and things in terms of uniform, and and, and that was a difficult time in being threatened personally. Uh, taken to court over things to do with uniform, etc. And that's a difficult, but actually the moral purpose of that is I want my children unified so we, uh, so we can spend our time teaching and learning and not saying, take that ring off, take that earring off, put your phone away, where's your school shoes? Because uniform is an important part and edgy part of, 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 of employment. Whatever you're going to go, you're going to have to be asked to wear some type of, whether it be high-vis jacket or, or suit and tie or whatever it is. And that's just a small thing. But from a leadership perspective, what it taught me is you've got to think of the different ways in which your decisions will go and make sure you plan for them. So when you're making those decisions, you're making sure, again, it links back to what we mentioned with Lewis earlier about making sure that 
you get the advice you need, whether it be HR or legal, and that you know that if it goes in, in a certain direction, that actually what you're doing is, is, is A, legally right, so you're not in trouble. Uh, B, uh, that you've got the support of your governing body and your leadership team behind you. And you've got to make sure that you stick to your morals. And it's difficult at times. You got, your communication's got to be right. One of the things I've learned very, very quickly is that your comm strategy has got to, you've got to think about that. It can't just be, I've told them it's an email, it's a letter. It's got to be a systematic approach of how you're going to do that. And also you've got to be visible and take it, like when you're doing the uniform thing. If you're the person making the decision about skirt length, shirts, ties, or whatever, You've got to be the person who's got to be at the front there. You can't be hiding in your office asking your other staff to take. You've got to be that person also who's willing to take and step up. And that's not easy. But if, you, if, you're, seen to be, if you're seen to do that and lead from the front, then other people will follow you. Is, is somebody that, wants to, sorry, is, is that something that you, you, you actually do physically in terms of planning? You talked about planning for a, if it goes well, if it doesn't go so well, if it's bad, if it's absolutely catastrophic. Is that a reflection process and is that something that you're doing in your head or is that something that you, you, you physically plot out and you speak to people about and, and, and you plan? It depends on the size of the decision. If you're doing a decision that affects the masses, you, 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 uh, the numbers game said that you're going to affect a percentage of that and that's going to be quite high because it, you use it, you affected everybody. So for me then I would, I would actually have pre-meetings and what I call pre-mortems so I do a pre-mortem of, rather than leave it until things are finished and you're doing a post-mortem, it's catastrophic. I'll do a pre-mortem meeting. So in my pre-mortem meetings, I'll sit down with uh, legal HR, do a conference call and say, right, this is what I'm going to do. Can you see any issues with this? Uh, I can see potential X, Y, and Z. And then obviously other people, it's important having other people in there. I mean, Matthew Syed talks about it, doesn't he, in terms of his latest book about that diversity of your leadership team. And I think it's important you have different people in there because they might say, well, actually, it could go in direction A, B, and C. So you're thinking, right, are we covered? Are we happy that we want it to go down this line? It could go down any of these lines, but we're happy that we can bring it back on board. And we know it might be bumpy, but we know it's coming. Uh, and we, yeah, so, so the pre-mortem could be, for example, big changes. We will inf inform the governing body and tell them and say, look, this is what we're doing. Are you happy with this? This is what we're going to be doing. And this is what, we're, because we know there will be a backlash of potential. It, yet we know that we back you. And once you've got that, it might not go down that way. If your communication strategy is good and the way in which you do that, then that will be minimal. If your communication, I've, I've, I've done the pre-mortem before, my communication strategy has been awful. So then I'm having to unpick the problems and issues. I've learned quickly that whilst the pre-mortem has to include communication with it, because anytime you're affecting change, the communication element of it is going to be critical. So nail the communication, crack on, the rest might start itself. Yeah, um, what, definitely. What's, what's the best bit of, of, you've just given a cracking bit of leadership advice there to, to anyone listening, uh, it's really, really useful. Um, what, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given as a leader that, that really resonated with you and that you, you, you maybe still stick to today? Uh, from my granddad. <laughs> uh, common sense is not very common. <laughs> uh, that's what he said to me as we were walking, uh, walking around Clumber Park. Common sense is not very common. Uh, and I've understood that. So when I'm talking about uh, you're trying to predict adult and human behaviour, don't just come back with, well, that's common sense. We should do that. No, it's not common sense. Uh, so it goes back to, again, that, that pre-mortem and that prediction of adult behaviours and you just don't know where it's going to go. So pre try and do that pre-mortem and predict 
different because people react in different ways and that staff adults stakeholders in terms of your governors your parents they will act in different way uh so and it will always be there in the morning that's what somebody told me when i took up post in september uh because i am one of those people who likes to clear my desk i am one of those people who likes to clean my inbox uh and I can't affect change straight away. Because as a leader, you want impact, don't you? You, want, as a, you go in there and you want to say, right, okay, we're on fantastic results at school. Well, great, here we go. It's the only way down. People say that well, the, the, it's great going into good schools. Well, it's a different challenge because you've got to keep the results where they are. Uh, so for me, it'll be there in the morning uh, and give yourself time and that, and that realignment time at home uh, where you can process things in your own time. Uh, and get that sounding board and make sure you've got that ally, someone, whether professionally or personally, uh, that confidential sounding board is important. Great stuff. The, um, you mentioned that earlier, didn't you, about that, having that opportunity in your drive home to have that reflection time, to have your distractions of the different activities you're doing in a sounding board as well. And common sense isn't very common. I remember that one. That's a belter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it comes back to the one that we like is that you only know what you know. And it is a very yeah. similar, very similar statement. We're just winding yeah. it down a bit now, Scott. I'd, I'd just like to think about your younger self and what advice would you give to your younger self? See, take opportunities when you can. Go out of that comfort zone. Uh, I, I, I think a lot of people tend to think you're very... Co uh, talk about me. I, I never like to talk about myself because I just... For me, I just get on and do it and let other people talk about that. For me, it's not about that. It's about step out of your comfort zone. Uh, keep challenging yourselves. Uh, see problems as challenges. Uh, because if they... If they it, and I, say this to, I said this to my uh, head of PE. I said, look, if people didn't make obscure or not common sense decisions, you'd have a very flat structure in school, wouldn't you? You'd have a head. And then everyone else would just be a main scale teacher because everyone would be making the right decisions. Everyone would be taking responsibility for the classes and you'd save an absolute fortune. But that, in the business world and in education, it's exactly the same. You've got hierarchy of structure. So you've got to make sure that you take yourself out of that comfort zone. You take opportunities when you can and you continually reflect. And good practitioners reflect. Good leaders reflect. You're not arrogant. You don't think you know everything. And, you, and you're humble enough to take on board advice and realize when you've got it wrong. I remember when I was doing my uh, work with the uh, uh, National College, I was doing some middle leadership facilitation work, learning about how, how adult learners learn. And that was really interesting, three-day course down in Nottingham about how adult learners learn and how you can put across adult information and how you can, it's almost how you teach adults, essentially. And I found that really useful. And as part of that, we did a 360-degree diagnostic and, uh, and, I've, and I've just done one, actually, from my MPQH and, I've done, and, and, and I read my 360-degree and we all were in a room reading it. And I remember some people were in absolute tears when they read the 360-degree diagnostic. I can't believe people think... And for me, I went, yeah, I know that. I know that about myself. I know, and I, and I'd just done one with MPQH and one of the first lines was avoid China shops, which made me laugh really in terms of like a bull in a China shop, which I know I can be at times in terms of because of my task driven orientation in terms of I want to get things done. And sometimes I can need to slow down a little bit and that pre-mortem processing of how we're going to get this uh, actual outcome effective is needed. So I think good leaders 
know themselves. And if it comes back and you're crying about that, and oh, I can't believe people, well, you should be a bit more soul searching and reflection on your actions and be constantly doing that. Because I, I don't get everything right. I get things wrong all the time. Uh, but being aware that I do that, and, and as long as I'm doing it, my decisions at the time were for the right reasons. That's all I can do. So slow down, reflect. <laughs> Uh, have the opportunity to well take take the opportunity isn't it is what you said about seize yeah. every, every every kind of opportunity you can as a challenge and and don't be scared to make mistakes great stuff cheers yeah. Scott. um we're gonna we're gonna finish with uh, a few a few quick fire questions just uh, as a bit of fun if you were if you were taking three leaders in history out for a meal who would you take with you uh mandela story Moral purpose, we talk about it there, don't we? Churchill, I think current times, COVID, and yeah. uh, the way, we, and then maybe for a bit of humour, I'd go uh, uh, Trump, just, just to liven it up a little bit. <laughs> I'd love <laughs> to see big Churchill and Trump have a chat. It'd be absolute banter. <laughs> Mandela the mediator. I, I want to stick, stick Mandela in between and uh, see how that goes, yeah. Belting. Oh, what are your, um, we've touched upon a few of these bits already. What are your three non-negotiables as a leader? Which, are, which three things do you really think, you know what, people are going to have short shrift if they try and challenge me on this because this is what I'm all about. This is me. And these are, these are the three non-negotiables that I've got. As a leader? As a leader, as a person, as a learner, whatever you want. Reflection, you've got to be reflective because I'm asking teachers and leaders every day to make decisions. So be reflective, be visible, be out and about. Uh, uh, go back to moral intent, be kind, be a nice person, be a kind person. Uh, we are developing children and young people to be kind and come to society. So uh, often forgotten, isn't it, about kindness and that and being kind to people. I think something COVID's taught me about the community around here is the amount of people have come together and, and the people you see and old and young getting together in the community. Yeah, be kind. Be kind, be reflective, be visible. Yeah. Cheers, Scott. Really appreciate it. I've, I've really enjoyed our chat. Thanks for coming on. No, really appreciate that. Thank you very much, Lewis. Nice to see you. Yeah, just one last one from me, mate. It's... Uh... Does leaving a legacy matter to you? Ah, leaving a legacy. Sometimes can go back. Go, uh, I, I think some people could can see me, could could see me, uh, although I'm not as quite arrogant and quite egotistical and quite self motivated. And I, I would hope not, because my motivation is children getting the best. So for me, what legacy? What does legacy mean? Does legacy mean children have a good experience at school and have good outcomes? Yeah, I want to leave a legacy. Do, they, do I want my children to come out with the best results possible? Yeah. Do I want to take the plaudits for that? Not really, because it's not about me. I'm just the person sat in that seat for these 10 years. Somebody else will be sat in my seat for another 10 years, then somebody else will be sat in that seat. So for me, it's, the legacy is about the experience. So if you want me to say, yes, I want them to have a legacy of good school experience like I did, yes, I do. Do I want a legacy for my name to be up in light so as a person who's drove change doesn't bother me doesn't interest me that great answer to finish on scotty well thanks a lot for, for coming all to right us. it was uh, there's some absolute nuggets there of of quality leadership <clears throat> and, and hope wish you wish you all the best through through covid and hope you get yeah 
back on track uh, and ready for the new school year in September. Top man, no. thanks a lot, pal. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate that. Great to speak to you all. See you soon, Alan, and take care, yeah. Lewis. Take it easy, mate. Ta-ra.